Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Fish Across the Pond, a Marlins UK podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt, and joining me this week, there is Rob Newell. Rob, how are you? Fine, I'm just uh, looking forward to getting my merch for next week for the special 50th podcast. (laughs) T-shirts and hats, aren't we? There could be. We need to check the budget on that one. There, there could be some constraints, but hey, if we need some merch, we know the man, Dan the man who isn't here this week, unfortunately, but um, he's the man with, with, with merch for sure. Um, also on this week, Lee Dobbs. Lee, how are we? Yeah, you know, I, I, I know as good as, as always. You know, I'm, I'm, back, I'm back for my break, break from like, the, you know, the last episode. I'm ready, you know, ready to go. Good man. I, I, I believe you, you had some technical challenges on, on the last one where you, you muted you muted the group. I muted so. you. <laughs> <laughs> My wife often uh, wishes she could do that to me as well. Yeah. Um, awesome, guys. Listen, um, Dan can't be here this week, uh, but I've, I've managed to drag in um, kicking and screaming a special guest for this week, and it's the main man from the Miami Herald, Jordan McPherson. J-Mac, how are you? I'm doing great, Peter. Great to be with you guys today. Yeah, awesome awesome to have you along. I mean, this this is live reporting from you. You're in your car, driving to Marlins Park for a sim game. We expect there's going to be maybe Jose and, and, uh, and Caleb on the mound tonight. So this is the commitment we love. So really great to have you along, Jordan. And um, yeah, it should be a fun episode. Uh, let's let's hope the signal holds up okay, <laughs> and don't be speeding on the freeway either. Um, nope, fingers crossed, everything works out. So far, so good. Good man. Listen, I think all of us, uh, listeners and ourselves on this podcast included, would be, I guess, interested to know what's what's the life of a baseball professional baseball reporter like. <laughs> How good a job is that? Well, this is my second year on the Marlins beat. I've been a professional reporter going on four years now, second year in MLB. And even with all the restrictions going on now with the coronavirus pandemic and social distancing and not being able to be face-to-face with, with the players and manager John Mattingly and other coaches, it's still, this is, this is a dream on my end. I've been wanting to be to cover baseball full-time since my sophomore year in college when I covered the University of Florida baseball team. And to be able to do this now, this early in my career, it's something I never thought would be happening this It just, every day I get to go to the ballpark, I look around and it doesn't feel like a job, even though the paycheck definitely is nice at the end of the week. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's, it's basically exactly as I expected. A dream come true reporting on sports, talking to the players, talking to the managers and getting a paycheck for that. I mean, ah, it's, it's a dream. So ha- just, just on, on this year, I mean, it's very different for you, I'm sure, in your role. But, but just, just explain to us kind of how different it is. You know, I, I've had a little peek behind the curtain this year, being able to join the Zoom calls. But, you know, how, how different is it for you in terms of your role and being able to cover the team really only virtually or be it all just at a real distance in the stands. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, there definitely are a lot of differences. I mean, to tell you what a typical day looks like, on in a regular season like we had last year, I would normally get to the ballpark about four hours before the game starts, so 3 o'clock for a 7 p.m. game. We get access to the clubhouse for 45 minutes pregame. Basically, whoever's in the clubhouse, we're able to go up to, talk to them, and basically get what we need, whether it's in a group setting or one-on-one. We get manager Don Mattingly in the dugout for about 15 minutes pregame, and then basically just for about five to six minutes, and then grab two or three guys in the clubhouse postgame. This year, it's really everything is remote. All of our interviews have been on Zoom and in group settings. So it's a lot of shared material, so to speak, in terms of everybody's more or less getting the same content. You're able to work some outside interviews, work some outside sources, like I'm trying to do for a couple of my bigger stories that will hopefully be coming out next week. But in terms of the team coverage, a lot of the stuff is everybody getting the same material and trying to make sure you get everything that you need in that one setting because, again, you're only getting a couple guys a day. You're not necessarily able to bounce around from locker to locker like you usually could in the clubhouse. And in terms of physically watching the team, most of the time we're either stuck in the press box with each of us either in our own separate booth or six or seven seats apart in the press box itself, or we're in the, we're limited to the stands. We can't go onto the field. We can't get we can't get access to down the first and third base line like we normally would during a spring training session. But in terms of the access, it's a lot better than I thought it would be. I mean, just the fact that we're able to get inside inside Marlins Park to watch practice just about every day. We're able to see the players. We're able to get full-on updates in terms of pitching lines and able to take video. So in terms of the situation itself, it's, we're making the most out of it. Obviously, it is different but we're able to adapt to the times. Exactly. Well, it's it, it's different, but it, it's great that I think the Marlins and the feedback I saw from, I think Craig Mish, I think I saw saying that he felt that the Marlins were really doing a good job of you know, embracing it and particularly the guys that were being made available to the media and just those sessions in general, like no one's swerving questions and, uh, and anything. It's just, you know, Ask the question, I'll give you a straight-up answer. So I think he was impressed with that. Who, it, you know, normally when you're rolling around the lockers, who, who do you most, or who, who have you historically most enjoyed kind of going and talking with? You know, who have you got the, the, big, the best relationships with in the locker room? I'll be honest, I haven't had a problem with anybody in the, lock, in the clubhouse during my year and a half now at this point. I mean, there are obviously a couple go-tos that everybody has. Miguel Rojas being the biggest example there. He's the unofficial, official team. Speaks his mind. He's open about just about everything that you need. He'll give you as much of an honest answer and as much of an accurate answer as he's able to provide. Um, a few of the other guys, I mean, Monte Harrison's always a great talk. Uh, Garrett Cooper's been great. Jorge Alfaro and Francisco Cervelli, I've enjoyed talking to both of them. Um, obviously, there are a lot of new faces. I haven't had multiple. Inter- I've only had the slim interaction I had with in spring. But, I mean, I've liked talking a couple times. I talked with Corey Dickerson. I've liked uh, to go – I mean, everyone in the starting rotation has been – it's always been great. I mean, you talk with them every five days. But they're really – everybody's pretty open. And basically the way I see it is as long as you treat them with respect, 
respect and you do your due diligence when you're talking with everyone, they're gonna they're gonna reciprocate that and they're gonna be just as good to you on the on the, on their end. Yeah, that's, that, that's good to hear. Um, from what I've seen, uh, having been you know listening in and participating where I can, everyone is very gracious with their time and has been awesome. The thing that impresses me most is a lot of the guys that, you know, they're not, English isn't the first language and they're kind of taking on the interviews, you know, as best they can in English and answering in English, which I think is very impressive. Um, you know, some translator work going on to, to help it along. But uh, from the sense I get is there's a great vibe in camp. Um, and I, I get it. There's a true belief. Like I, I truly believe that the guys think they can do something this year. Like it's not smoke and mirrors. I truly believe that that's, that's what the thought process is. Are you getting the same sense as well, Jordan? I am. And I mean, it's oozing on what they were doing in spring training. I mean, they were, if I, if I remember correctly, they were 12 and six when spring training came would stop. A lot of the young guys were really stepping up. Monte Harrison was impressing. Jazz Chisholm was impressing. I liked a little bit. I saw Leywin Diaz and Gerard Encarnacion. The pitchers were starting to come into their own. They felt like after the first two years of the rebuild and losing 203 games over two years, they knew that this year with who they acquired in the offseason, Corey Dickerson, Jesus Aguilar, Jonathan Villar, Matt Joyce, Francisco Zarelli, the list keeps going, and those top prospects finally getting close to the surface. They felt like this year, even in a normal 162-game setting, they would have a chance to surprise, maybe not make the playoffs or be in contention for a wild-card spot, so to say, in normal season. But they would have – they had that gut feeling they would be making improvement this year. Now, with a 60-game schedule, granted the fact that the Marlins are facing probably the toughest schedule out of them all, but with 40 games of the NL East and 20 games of the AL East, it's going to be a tough road, but in 60 games, when you have that type of sprint, anything can really happen. And if they get off to a hot start, who knows? They, maybe they can sneak in and be one of those dark horse teams. Uh, absolutely. Well, Jordan, great, uh, great kind of introductory segment. It's really useful for us all and really insightful to hear, you know, what's going on and um, how you're seeing things. Good segue, though, to the schedule. That was one of the first topics for us to get stuck into. Um, Lee, Lee, I'll come to you, buddy. Um, the schedule itself, well, Jordan's teed it up nicely there. It's, it's brutal. Uh, there's no other way to get around it. Um, but we're starting, we're starting away at the Phillies for a three-game set. And then four games following that, two at home, two, two away against the Orioles. If we wanted to start hot, I mean, they're the best. That's the best possible perhaps you know first seven seven games or so right yeah i mean i'd say yeah, in terms of who it could have you know it could have been i suppose yeah you know to get balls you know on the schedule early is good hopefully you know, you know we, we 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 should be able to beat them you know quite often and also the Phillies. I mean, we don't always always know know with the Phillies. You know, you know, which team is gonna mm. is gonna turn up because they they can be good or they they could be be bad. Obviously, we we don't know yet. But yeah, I'm, in terms of the schedule, I don't think it's, it's. I mean, it's gonna be tough. But yeah, I'm not. I can see us see us getting off to quite a nice start. And then yeah, as you say, the season's short. 
So there's no no reason why you know, you know we can't ride you know you know like ride a good good streak, and then then see how it goes. I mean, we obviously when we play play the Yankees, I think which is the last series. I mean, uh, I mean, how good you know, good would that be? To, like go into there, you know, go to to clinch a a playoff spot. Yeah, yeah. Well, fun, funny you funny you mentioned that. Um... One of the rare times I have asked a question in the, the Marlin Zoom calls, it, it was specifically on that point to, to Don Manningly. And I said to him and asked him, you know, how good would it feel rolling into, you know, Yankee Stadium with potentially a, a, a playoff spot on the line um, as the final series? And he kind of laughed and he went, it would be good. He said, but I'd, I'd hope we would have clinched before then already, which I thought was an excellent answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, not good on Don. Um, Rob, from from your perspective, are there, are there any kind of series series that you're kind of looking towards and thinking that's going to be absolutely key? Or in sixty games, does it really matter? Everything's it's just a, everything's a playoff game. Yeah, the, the the issue here is is if you get off on if you were the Nationals and this and you put the National season last year into this season, mm. they they're gone straight away. And that's the thing. You just need to get off on a good start. We do have the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, we are playing after the, 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 the you know, the Phillies and the Orioles. We do, we do have the, the uh, Nationals, um, obviously, you know, they're coming off that incredible season. Um, but then we've got to play like sort of a bit further along. We've got to play the Blue Jays, who, you know, are still in full rebuild mode. Um, and so we've got the opportunity in the first couple of months in July and August to actually build up a sort of a, a, a healthy start if we can, where the problem really comes in is in that last month where you do have the Braves. Um, I think we're playing them seven times in September. We've got the Red Sox. We've got the Yankees, Nationals. You're playing the Rays who are still a strong side um, I, we've got to get a good start. So if we haven't got a good start against the Phillies and the Orioles, then I think we can say this could be over quite quickly. Mm. If we get a good start, then we can really roll into those later series with confidence. But um, I think the key ones we're really looking at are really early on because uh, if especially the Orioles, we're supposed to we're supposed to really walk past them. We've got BR and the team who knows everything about them, doesn't he? So if if we haven't got past them, then uh, it could be a good night very early. Yeah, well, VR did call that out actually and said that you know it's great that we're going to go back and play the Orioles very quickly. I know them well, um, and my information should help us. So. You know, it's good to call that out. Um, the reality is Corey Dickerson uh, equally was a Philly last year, uh, the back end of the season. So straight into, you know, I know we've played the Phillies regularly, but, you know, we have some inside knowledge going on uh, on, on those guys. You're right to call that out, though, mate. When you look at that final month, the seven games against the Braves, all away as well, all on the road, seven games is... It's, it's going to be a very, very tough finale. But if the Marlins get in, they would have earned it, irrespective of 60 games or not. <laughs> the guys, I think, would have seriously earned it. Um, Jordan, just coming to you quickly on, I guess, if the Marlins start, if they start slow, how do you, 
how do you think that will impact what they do from a roster perspective as we kind of start to trim 30 to 28 to 26 and you know various IL type situations are, are potentially in play also so how do you see that playing out? Bingo watches it unfolds. I mean, like you said, after the first two weeks, they have to cut down from 30 to 28. And after the first month, they have to be down to 26. And then you have the trade deadline on August 31st, which is really only a month into the season. So if the Marlins, if they can tell they're out of contention, there's a chance. And also it depends on how some of the players end up performing in that first month. There's a chance that some of the guys like VR and Kinsler, who are only who are only on the one-year deals as they are, you could see them potentially getting flipped for more prospects to start break, building up that farm system, or you could just start seeing a lot of the prospects to the Marlins might have been hesitant about bringing up in the first place. Just the service time, you could easily start seeing them making debuts earlier than expected. It's a lot of moving parts and moving pieces, which, again, like you mentioned with the injuries, with the IL and possible roster moves on that front, there's going to be so much uncertainty on that front with just the coronavirus and positive tests, which teams are going to be hesitant to reveal any of that specific information in the first place. But a lot of that stuff could really impact how rosters, the how they end up having to maneuver around and using their depth throughout the season. Yeah, it's a good point. I, uh, Lee, I'll come to you on this one. When I've been thinking about the Marlins 60-man pool, I, I look at it and I feel like it's a really strong pool. And this season, if it is, you know, if we have guys that, that test positive, and I think it's inevitable, really, because COVID just isn't under control um, in the U.S., you know, and so it's gonna, the players are going are gonna to test positive and, and are going to need to go on the IL, which you know, minimum 10 days and could be even longer. I mean, it's a big chunk of a season, actually. So when I look at it, I think, you know, other Marlins may be well positioned here with a lot of depth. You know, those high-end prospects that we may see quicker, but we may need to draw on them quicker. But actually, other teams don't have those guys to pull in. And next thing is the Marlins look really strong. What, what are your thoughts, mate? Yeah, you know, I think uh, you know, that's, that's true. Especially, I mean, if we if we lose a starter, yeah, I mean, I mean, we've seen how how deep the you know like the the farm system is. Obviously, they'll all be making their debuts, which I mean, obviously, and it could go you know either way. Yeah, they they could come out for it, or or they could could struggle. You know, to start off, start off, start with. But yeah, in terms of of injuries, I would say that that the Marlins yeah do have probably you know. One of, if not the the strongest sixty man team. So if we do, do do lose, you know, a player here and there, then then I think I think we are well equipped, you know, like to to stay the course, you know, for for for, for the season. But yeah. obviously, you don't want to be losing too many. But I, I say because obviously everyone that will be making their their debut at the same same time, which I mean, yeah. I mean, it could be good, good, it could be bad. It's but yeah, I, but. Yeah, you know, it's 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 good to you know good to have that that depth. Absolutely, it's exciting too. I think that's the the thing about it is these guys, these these high end prospects. It's just exciting to see what they've got. I think, and I think that's the interesting bit. Rob, one thing we do need to touch on: your man, opening day starter, already named Sandy. 
Um, thoughts on that one, mate? I mean, it looked inevitable, right, that that was going to be the decision. He's earned it. Fully, de- fully deserved. Um, All-star did really well in the All-star game in that inning he pitched. Last year, he pitched more innings than anybody else, just under the 200 innings pitched at 197. And, and within that, he was uh, head and shoulders above everybody else and uh you know pitched really with good control we know about the the complete games you know and how you know that was against the Mets I think from my from my memory and how amazing that quick that was Mm -hmm. um just he looks like a proper ace now we know there's a few little bits and pieces Mattingly said he's got to be a bit more aggressive if you look at his stats last year his strikeout per nine was just under seven which is quite low even if you compare it to Caleb Smith who who was about 9.9 last year and um, and uh, Alicia Hernandez was higher as well so uh, and Jordan Yamamoto so if you get a few more strikeouts his, his walks were slightly higher than, than some of the other pitchers as well which you would expect of his caliber so few little tweaks and you've got an uh, you know an amazing ace there who can you know really set us forwards uh, a, a few years and the other thing to to remember just we, we always have to repeat this because people talk about the Marlins trades how good was that trade uh, that uh, the Azuna trade that we got Alcantara and um, of course through the the Jazz Chisholm um, sort of ver- you know through Zach Gallon yeah. you know but people laugh about our trades. That one was amazing. And the fruit of it is now being shown now. Fully deserved. Great guy. Really good. Absolutely. Jordan, we're going to have to lean on you now as well. This is, you know, this is the point we were making earlier. We're not getting full coverage and TV coverage. We're relying on you in Marlins Park and the other, the other media guys, you know, Joe Fasaro, et cetera, to be posting little snippets of video. But from your eyes and from what you've seen, particularly you know, from a rotation perspective, who's, who's really stood out in what one, two sim appearances thus far? Or I know it's a small sample size, but who's popping? Yeah, small sample size so far, but Sandy has looked the part. I didn't see his showing on Tuesday, but his first sim game appearance, he looked really, really solid. He was really good throughout spring training as well. And to go back off of what's been said already, his stuff plays like an ace if he can manage the control with it. Don Mattingly just the other day compared him saying he can become a Justin Verlander, a Clayton Kershaw. He can become a Max Scherzer if he's able to com- control his stuff and able to get more effective command. Just in terms of his stuff alone with the fastball in the upper 90s, four really, really strong pitches. If he can control them, then he can easily become one of those top-tier guys based off of just his arsenal. In terms of other guys in the rotation, uh, again, we've only seen one round of sim game appearances outside of Sandy, but Caleb looked okay. He gave up the two he gave up the two home runs to Monte and to Lewin Diaz, but other than that, he looked really solid outside those two at-bats. Uh, Pablo, Pablo Lopez really impressed me so far, and is, he just he looks like a different pitcher this year, or at least in a little bit of time just in a little bit of time that we've been able to, to see him, but he just looks very aggressive. Uh, yeah, he just looks really, really good, and really I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens with that fifth spot, which they're down to four players. It's either going to be Yamamoto, Eliezer Hernandez, or Nick Knight or Robert Duggar. To me, it looks like 
Eliezer or Yamamoto is going to get that fifth spot. But all four looked impressive in their one one round that we've seen so far. And with 30 guys for the opening day roster, you can easily see two or three of the guys who don't make it working out of the bullpen as long relief guys in the early going. Yeah, exactly. The, the other thing that's been talked about is this kind of piggyback scenario as well, where you may end up with, I don't know, a day where Yam starts and Eliezer follows on with a couple of innings after and they kind of between them do six or seven. I don't know. Um, it's going to be an interesting situation, particularly on the, on the fifth spot uh, for sure. Um, Lee, if you were going to have to pick one of those guys and there's a pool of at least four um, that, that you would have mentioned then, which way would you lean on it, mate? I, I liked a lot of what Yams did last year in, in parts, um, albeit I, I, he struggled a bit in the first inning, I felt. I felt like his first inning was, once he got through it, he was cruising. Yeah, I'd say I think Almozo did enough last year, you know, to earn earn that, that fifth spot spot now. And unless he has a you know real real like you know a bad sort of sort of time of it, I think the fifth spot should be his to start start off with. As you're saying, we got so many options that I mean we're you know like the likely likely likelihood is that we are going to need another you know start at some point. So yeah, but to bring the year. Uh, Yamamoto would, would be my choice with maybe Duggar as well in the mix because I, I, I know his stats weren't, you know, they didn't look look all, 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 all that great last year but I thought he, he did look, look look good so yeah it'd, it'd be Yamamoto to like begin with but I mean the, I mean, the ch- chances are all, all four will see, see starts Yeah what a what about you, Rob? Just finish up on, on this one, on, I guess, the fifth man, the sixth man. What we see that looking like? Well, I'd, I'd rather see Yamamoto because of his range of pitches. And so I think that's where it gives that point of difference over maybe someone like Hernandez. And Alicia's more, more used to operating out of the bullpen and, and operating as long relief as, you know, as, as Jordan's just, just, just sort of signalled. So I think that's it. But the other thing to remember is that this is a real manic sprint and you're going to get players injured tired could get out of, you know well off form really really quickly and it's all right in spring training when you've got time to fine tune it over a few games uh, you don't have that time here and you could see uh, um, some quick changes happening so uh, ultimately you will see Duggar in there you know this year uh, if we all completely fall apart, will we see Sixto later on in the year? There's all those kind of sort of ifs and buts. Maybe that's too early. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's definitely Yamamoto uh, as the five. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess uh, just just another one for you here, Jordan, to, to, I guess, give us some insight on. And uh, it's been very topical the last couple of days in particular is is the actual or the scenario that um, the, the audio, fan audio, will be pumped into the stadiums to give, I guess, a bit of atmosphere into, into the ballparks. Um, I know the Marlins have been playing around with this the last couple of days. How, how does it seem to work from your perspective? Like, is it, is it loud? Is it, <laughs> is it kind of packed house loud? Or are they playing... Uh, home run tunes, you know, or, or songs when, when someone hits a home run? Kind of, how's it all playing out? Yeah, they just started with 
with testing out the fan noise stuff on Tuesday. They're going to be doing a little bit more the next couple of days just to start experimenting and tweaking with it. But honestly, it, I didn't think too much of it just because I'm used to hearing stuff in the background every now and then anyway when I'm, when I'm writing because the press box is open. So it was noticeable enough, but it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a sold-out crowd, 30,000 people screaming their ears off after every play. And before that, it was just – everything was just a normal practice, silence around the players, players trying to cheer and pump each other up while they could. But they were basically grasping at straws early on before they started with the crowd noise. I'm interested to see how they continue and try to perfect it as – these next few days of practice go on before they have to Atlanta next week for their exhibition games. Yeah. I know, I know the Marlins and I know production wise, they're all over it. I, I know that there'll be some of the guys will be trying to tweak that and enhance it just so it delivers like an optimal experience. Like there's a lot of, you know, is it just going to be just a standard, just a buzz of, you know, I guess chatter in the stands or is someone there going to be hitting a button when there's a hit or there's a, a play, or, you know, how's that, how's that going to play out? But, you know, I think the main thing is just to try and create an atmosphere just so it isn't silent in the ballpark to the players. Like, I think the players need to feel a bit of energy and a bit of juice because, you know, they've, they've mentioned that themselves, that they, they need that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see how that, that plays out. There was talk, though, Lee, earlier on, that at one point they would, there was a, maybe an option where they'd be able to choose some music and be able to play music, a bit like, how, you know, NFL camps and whatever. There's always music in the background, yeah. um, which I thought was an interesting idea, but <laughs> probably many of the, the, the songs that would be chosen may not be yeah. suitable for, uh, for national television, <laughs> I guess. <Nah. laughs> but what, when I think of music, mate, I just think of you and your, uh, yeah. your band, mate. I mean, what I do hope uh, is the Marlins can I've find a way to, yeah, to get the band go. in, right? There must be, be a way to get that played. No, there must be be a CDD somewhere for for it to play. You know, a Saturday night, it's got to be done. <laughs> must be, exactly. A massive game, us against the Braves or the Phillies on a Saturday night. Yeah. You know, a high high scoring game. The band in the background. The band fired up. <laughs> exactly. I mean, happy days. Hey guys, the one thing we should mention on the schedule: thirteen. 13 UK friendly games, which I think when you look at a percentage, it's not a bad percentage of the season, um, no. which is which is a nice touch. Um, right, Rob, we need to come to roster bits now. And today, announcement is made. We've already had, I think, one, one roster move or one IL spot uh, a couple of weeks back, which was Banfield. Um, Jazz... Jazz wasn't around for a, for a week or so, but is now back in camp. He, he, I guess the, the 10-day IL wasn't required, but I think, you know, speculation was that, that, that Jazz um, had some COVID issues, let's say. But today, the news that the Brinson um, and Matt Joyce both go on to the 10-day um, IL, no corresponding moves as such just yet, but I think really it opens the door up for some, I guess, the guys... Uh, like a Lewin, Diaz, Jesus Sanchez, uh, Jazz Chisholm, who's obviously back in camp, um, maybe uh, Jira as well. Um, thoughts on that, mate? How, how are we seeing the Marlins going to kind of fill these spots? Because I guess 10-day IL puts both of them guys out of opening day. 
Yeah, and that's the concern, isn't it? With because we don't quite know, uh, you know, th this situation as we're seeing with all other teams could keep developing. So it could be another person is on the, the DL tomorrow, and that's the whole purpose of having you know these these big sort of uh, uh, squads to pick from early on. Um, but I still think um, yeah, I had a go at this. Um, before the podcast, I tried several different combinations of of getting down, even down to a 28. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, we're still going to see those key players in that squad. We might see someone like Jesus Sanchez come in. Definitely Lewin Diaz, I think, will definitely get in there. But otherwise, you'll find I think your position players will be the, the best of the best because we need that, that really, really good start. Not saying that... Um, but any of the younger players can't come in there. Jazz Chisholm is, is amazing. We know that. But to start with, you'd want Miguel Rojas really probably in that shortstop position. The, the, the main key thing that I think is to be different is, I, I, from what it sounds, and Jordan's the guy who'll know this, but I think Monte Harrison sounds like a bit of a lock. Um, that I think he'll definitely be a starter. Um, but otherwise, I think you'll find that, you know... Or, or, all the, the, the bigger names that we've got in there, like Aguilar, Alfaro, Anderson, um, you know, uh, Izon Diaz, I think, definitely, uh, Corey Dickerson, Rojas, VR. I, I think it will be that to start with unless anything else goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jordan, what's your view? I mean, you've been in the same sessions as me. The buzz on Monte Harrison has been high, is how I describe it. <laughs> is he... Is it is it a strong possibility starting opening day centre field? Um, there's a definitely a good chance that he's there for opening day. It's not. I would not put it down as a lock that he's there opening day because I mean the way you see it. I mean the infield. We know who that's going to be. It's going to be Jesus Aguilar at first, Isan Diaz at second, Miggy at short, Anderson at third, Cervelli or Alfaro catching. You definitely have Corey Dickerson at left. It, based off of what we've been seeing during the scrimmages, it's been VR in center and Harold Ramirez in right in terms of the main, the ones who've been working as the starters. So, I mean, unless they decide to put VR at the DH or Monte at the DH, there's some chance that he may not be an opening star. I mean, I can definitely see he's looked really, really good. But now it's these next few days are basically trying to figure out how we can adjust as pitchers finally start because a lot of his success came from either regular batting practice sessions or when the pitchers were only throwing fastballs. So as he learns to adjust, if he's able to show he can make the adjustments over this next week or so, I'd say he's a lot to be on the roster, whether it's starting center field or starting DH. But until I get better view on what he looks like over these next few days, it's honestly, I would say it's probably a 50-50 toss-up for mm -hmm. opening day. He'll definitely make, be on the roster at some point this year. But July 24th at Philadelphia, I definitively say it's going to be a lot right now. Yeah. What's your, what's your percentage that Lewin Diaz is on the 30 percentage likelihood? Lewin's a tricky one, <laughs> especially since he's purely a first baseman. The left-handed bat with power definitely helps. Which could sign, which appoint him at the DH. But again, you still have your Jesus Aguilar and Derek Cooper in front of him at first base. So if you want to get the most out of him and get the defensive reps on top of the at bats, 
it's going to be tough for him to crack the roster right away. But again, that, that's the beauty of having the DH spot and having basically not really knowing how you're, they're going to compile their bench because they don't need a, they don't need three to four contributors every day. But I would say for Leyland right now would be I would just throw between thirty five to forty percent just because again I don't know how Maddie, how Donnie's going to start constructing those final few position player roster spots considering so much there's still some unknowns with how they're going to handle the outfield how they're going to handle if they're going to carry three catchers for example how many pitchers they're going to end up taking because it seems like they're going to use 17 spots for pitchers 17 out of the 30 so it's a lot of juggling to determine how they're going to handle some of these roster spots yeah exactly it, it there's a lot of decisions that aren't normally needed to be made, right? You know, the roster's not normally 30. So how do you, how do you construct it, you know, to give you the best chance? And I think the view is we're, we're going to give ourselves the best chance of winning straight away. Um, I guess we've got two weeks to kind of work out where we're at, I think is, is my sense. But after the first two weeks, if it's been a, a two and 10 start or whatever it is, then, you know, that changes things. Uh, but if we're ten and two, um, the momentum will start building. Be very, very, very interesting for sure. Um, Jordan, no, no, you're kind of running out of time um, before you get into the park. Give me your, um, give me your, uh, I guess, season prediction. Sixty games, sixty game sprint. Hashtag why not us? What's the Marlins' record going to be after the sixty? Always my least favorite spot on any interview I do. <laughs> I know. Sorry about that. I mean, it's all good. No, it's I anticipated at this point. I know what to think about. Again, yes, sixty game sprint. Anything can happen. The Marlins are optimistic. Fair. They have that why not us mantra, which is completely understandable. But then you also weigh that versus, as we've talked about, that daunting schedule. So I mean. The first seven games, yes, they, they're in a good spot with the three at Philly and then the four games with Baltimore. But outside of the all outside of their first 18 games, where six of them are against Baltimore and Toronto, the last 42 games are against oh, 40 of those 42 are against teams that had 500 or better last year. The only two that aren't are the second two games against Toronto. So it's a very tough road, which makes it hard for me to think that they that they're going to end up being over 500. I think if everything works right, they could potentially get a 32 to 33 win season. Otherwise, if I did just go straight off of what I've seen plus the schedule, I'm still leaning towards either 25 and 35 or 28 and 32. But again, again, if they come out of the gates firing and end up going 10 to the start, I'll gladly be able to say, throw that out the window. The Marlins can be a dark horse team this year. But going off of just what I have in front of me right now, I still think it's going to be tough in the track 500. Yeah. You've got to look at the schedule and just, you just know how brutal it is. It's so, so tough. And um, it really puts us at a disadvantage, I think. <laughs> I, I, I definitely don't like the fact that we've got more of our games against the Braves on the road rather than home. I think the split there was seven, seven on the road, three at home, knowing how, how poorly we played against the Braves. And I mean, they, it's interesting, you know, they're, they're an interesting proposition as well. Picking up Puig this week. I think I said, I don't know if that's official or not, but 
Um, I think Puig's now a brave, which is interesting. Um, Freddie Freeman's having some issues. So, you know, I, I guess anything can happen. Lee, from your perspective, how's the NL East shaping up? Like, how many games, how many games is it going to take to win the division? Like, in 60, in a brutal schedule, uh, you know, what could the division win to be? Could it be 500? Probably not. Sorry, sorry. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's such a short season. It's just hard to know. Just, I mean, like I say, I mean, you saw, we saw with, with the Nats last year, you start off slow and then, then you're done and it's, it just doesn't leave in any room to you know, to, to wiggle around. It's, I'd say to, to win the, the division, the you know, NL East, it's, uh, I mean, we, I mean, we, we all play a tough, tough, tough schedule as well. 40 wins, I reckon we could be enough. If a team went 40 and 20, I, I think they'd oh, win yeah. the division. Easily. 40, 40 would be insane. If, if someone does 40, then, you know, fair play. I'd be surprised if the division winner of the NL East had, had 40 we'll plus. Each other. Yeah, I'd, which is why I think with the Marlins, as I was saying, if we get close to, to even 25, I, I think it'd be a big, be a good yeah. good season. It may I be. mean, if I was to pick now, I, I, I reckon about anywhere between 25 to 28 wins, I, I, I think... Is, is good for, for the Marlins. Yeah. Um, it may be interesting. You know, the interesting part is over 1-6-2, the Marlins, I think, would have shown progression this year for sure. Yeah. And we would have been nowhere near the number one pick next year um, from a draft perspective. If things start bad, you know, we could feasibly be a team that shouldn't be deserving of a one, two or three pick. Mm. But because of the, 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 the schedule and the way things play out in the shortened season, we end up in that spot again. So actually, developmental-wise, long-term, you never know. It could be a real blessing where next, you know, you've got, you know, a really high draft pick yeah. um, next year. Um, Rob, what about you, mate? What's, what's it going to take to get the NL East done? Could be, it could be 35 wins. It, it, it's, uh, I, think, I think if you're, if you're looking sort of, over 32, 33, I think you've got a very good chance of being, obviously, in the postseason. The maths works differently in different divisions um, because of just, you know, it's the strength of, of, you know, and we're in a very, very strong, not just a, a strong division, but just we've got to play the Yankees and the Red Sox as well. You know, I know we've got the Orioles and Blue Jays who in theory should be weaker, but you know, it's just, it's just the unknown question, isn't it? You've got, you've got to obviously look, look over 500. But because of, of the way that works, you're going to get some really, really wacky teams make the postseason. I can mm. see teams like potentially the Padres, the Texas Rangers, uh, even the Cincinnati Reds. You, 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 there'll be some really odd teams that just have that nucleus of spirit and that sort of skill if they can keep their core you know, together and they can make it through and some others miss out just because they just had a little bit of a bad run. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's really, really difficult. But I know 33, 35. Seems sensible to me. Yeah. Um, good. Well, guys, I think we'll just bang out of time. Um, we've covered everything we possibly could in that time and squeezed it out. Um, so that's, that's episode 49. I'm very excited, guys, for next week for episode 50. It's a big milestone for us. Um, Rob Newell, Lee Dobbs, the regulars, Awesome as always, guys. Look forward to talking next yeah. week. J Mac, 
thanks so much for your time. It's great to talk. Um, let's make sure we, we check in again as the season gets going. Um, I know um, I'm looking forward to your, your videos and tweets tonight from the Sim game. Interested to see how, how things progress. Um, so thanks as well to, to Jordan McPherson from, from the Herald. Uh, if you're not following him, um, you should be. Um, you know, please be aware he doesn't have a blue tick on Twitter. So, um, you know, you do need to find him. <laughs> I think that was to your benefit uh, last night, Jordan, right? <laughs> yeah, gave me a couple hours to myself. But again, unfortunately, there was no Marlins practice for me to have a sole insight that, that day. But, you know, I'll get him next time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Loved it. Good, man. Listen, thanks so much again. Let's, let's make sure we do this again as, uh, as baseball kicks off. Um, it's great hearing your insight. Um, Rob, Lee, as I said, thanks again, guys. Episode 49 in the books. We're back with 50 next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks.